Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I'm your host, Steve Anderson. Thank you to our sponsor, VGM Advantage, who provides valuable resources and services to physical therapy businesses, including group purchasing, compliance programs, website design, and insurance products through PT1, just to name a few. In this episode, we have an impressive guest, Jessica McKinney. Jessica McKinney is co-founder of Marathon Physical Therapy and Sports Medicine, a Boston-area multidisciplinary practice with nine clinic locations and various off-site programs. Until January 2018, she served as the director of the Center of Pelvic and Women's Health, a program dedicated to physical therapy education and wellness of men, women, and girls with an emphasis on pelvic and maternal health and worked as an active clinician, speaker, educator, and mentor. Since 2009, she has pursued and developed emerging programs in obstetric fistula rehabilitation, pelvic and women's health in the Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, and Nigeria, working with organizations throughout Africa. Her work in all settings is dedicated to promoting multidisciplinary collaboration and promoting access to care program development, and capacity building in pelvic and women's health physiotherapy. Ms. McKinney is a 2000 graduate of Virginia Commonwealth University, earning a Master's of Science degree in physical therapy, and she is pursuing a Doctor of Science degree at Andrews University. She is co-author of several papers, abstracts, academic videos, and a book chapter, and is included in ongoing research projects involving pelvic pain, global and domestic maternal health, and surgical ergonomics. In 2016, she co-founded MAMA LLC, a public health and physical therapy consulting agency dedicated to improving women's and girls' health domestically and internationally. Most recently, she joined Boston-based Renovia, Inc. in February 2018 as VP of Medical Affairs and Clinical Advocacy, where she is eager to increase awareness of female pelvic health and build capacity for care by leveraging technology and innovation. Welcome, Jessica. It's great to have you on the show today. Thank you, Steve. I truly appreciate the invitation. Well, in reading uh, your bio, it, uh, you got a lot going on. You're, you're a busy person, and so I'd like to explore that a little bit if it's okay with you. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. At what point in your PT career did you decide to go into business and, and be an owner of a company? Wow, um, that's a great first question. I actually have an answer for that. Um, I describe myself probably as a very accidental entrepreneur. Um, I had a first job um, in outside of Chicago, so in the Chicagoland suburbs, and absolutely loved um, that job. And when my husband and I relocated to the Boston area, I interviewed around, and he had done as well. He's also a physical therapist, and um, neither one of us um, really kind of found a place that felt as much as as home as the the positions that we had left, and that was what motivated it, um, was simply us saying, you know what, we absolutely love this profession. We love what we're doing, um, and and so why don't we try to create the type of place that um, we want to work? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I know that... It seems like there's a lot of, of discussion going on now about uh, new professionals um, not being able to find their their perfect place these days. I mean, uh, sounds mm-hmm. like you you found that good first position, which was awesome, uh, but then struggled mm-hmm. to find the next. And I, I think that's a common that's a 
common thing that's happening right now. Maybe we have too much idealism in school, or maybe we think you know, it's going to be something greater than it is. But uh, uh, it's 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 interesting. So you just decided if it's not there, I'll create it and I'll I'll start myself. We did, we did, and it's interesting. I mean, because I'm I'm many years older at this point, and so while I think I still. Um, you know, kind of have idealism coursing through my veins. I, uh, I, I realize the ways in which um, pragmatism really deserves a seat at the table as well. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, you know, I, I think that if I were to more fully articulate it, I, I couldn't find a place where I felt I could practice um, orthopedics and public health to be quite frank, um, when I, when I first moved to the Boston area and that was something I, I really, really wanted to do. Um, that is something that has shifted. Um, I've, I've seen that change. I mean, it wasn't just within our practice, but I, I feel like those two worlds talk to each other now in ways that they didn't when I started practice, you know, nearly yeah. you know, two decades ago. Um, so that's been an exciting turn. Um, and you know, maybe would have been something different if that, you know, same, you know, young clinician had, had moved to our geographic region now. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. I mean, cause I think in many ways, um, work is work I and mean, we can find meaning in our work, but there, you know, there are things that are, you know, tough about any position anywhere. Right. But isn't that a definition mm-hmm. of an entrepreneur in the sense that you have this vision in your head and you don't see it out there. So you just go and create it. Good for you. <laughs> Right, right, right. Sometimes, um, yeah, without ever thinking about, you know, any other alternative. Um, I mean, we really just thought, you know, well, we can do this. And if we don't, what's the worst case scenario? We can go get a job. That's great advice. That's great advice. (laughs) So now you have nine clinics in a very competitive area. So what what opportunities did you see that others might miss? So, you know, as you just said, as a, as a new grad, you might come out and say, oh gosh, this is, this is quite a, an uphill battle here to, to create something in this competitive area of Boston. Mm. So, um, what, what did you see? What, 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 what enabled you to go from, uh, from nothing to nine clinics now? Right. Wow. Um, I think there are a few different factors, and I don't know if those would be the factors for anyone who was looking to enter our space, you know, here in Boston or anywhere else today. But at the time that we did, um, one piece was that we truly wanted outpatient, kind of classic community-based PT centers that incorporated pelvic and women's health. Um, so that was really, really important, um, and we didn't see that around, so that was distinctive. Um, another was um, becoming involved with local school systems and um, the community through uh, road races and running clubs and uh, having athletic trainers and a robust sports medicine program um, to work uh, with local schools. Um, and through that, to build relationships with the community that um, was not really kind of in you know, my wheelhouse within the practice per se, but, um, but I think that that's been a big part of driving its growth. Um, and then another thing that we were always really committed to was, um, was professional development. Um, and I know, um, I left a job that was very supportive of that and 
I didn't want to be uh, in solo clinical practice. Um, I wanted to have a group of people who were senior to me and junior to me by years um, and to learn from everyone and to be able to host professional development opportunities um, to continue to develop. Um, and so those are, those are a few of the things that I think were pretty key and fundamental um, to our vision for, for the practice um, from day one uh, that have remained consistent over time. Um, and I mean, I've seen a lot of change in the field. And I can't imagine how much it's going to keep changing, but those are definitely, um, those for us uh, were, were fundamental building blocks and really common themes. Yeah, I think that you attract a, a different type of person who really embraces that uh, wanting to learn and grow. And, uh, yeah. you know, through that professional development and leadership training and, and all those things that, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of continuing ed out there, but there's not as much um, leadership training. There's not as much mentoring and coaching and those type of things. So if you can provide an environment for new professionals to get into, I think that's a real desirable place to work. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks. We tried. <laughs> yeah. So now you have, uh, you also have gotten involved and do a lot of work in Africa. And uh, I'm yes. curious to know uh, how that really got started. And then it seems like it's grown a lot to where you're spending quite a bit of time doing that. So share with us what, uh, what you do in Africa. Yeah, thanks. Um, so that actually was something that um, was an area of interest for me before PT school, frankly. Um, I attempted to, to go actually to Congo, where I do um, most of our work um, in 97. And there was some political turmoil, and I, I didn't end up there at the time. Um, and then um, just, I don't know how else to describe it, except that I just feel very hardwired to do that. There was no other seminal experience. There's nothing I can point to. I just feel like I always wanted to, to do that. Um, you know, I think if I'm being more philosophical, I, um, <laughs> I'm pretty driven by unmet needs, like seeing unmet needs and then feeling uh, a desire to build capacity to meet those needs. And I think that that probably is a big reason why that has been um, such an attractive uh, and meaningful professional pursuit. Um, but kind of practically speaking, um, I... I, you know, did a few things here and there, but kind of meaningfully, you know, landed again in, in Congo in 2009, um, where I, I went to spend a bit of time at a hospital in Eastern Congo called Heal Africa. Um, and there were two American physical therapists who were there at the time um, and just starting a, kind of a period of residence where they were going to be working there for what amounted to nearly two years. And they were building physical therapy and rehab services across the whole hospital, um, and they recognized a need very particularly in um, gynecology and maternal health. And I became connected to them in that capacity. So I spent time with them physically and then a significant amount of time um, remotely providing coaching and mentoring and um, development of, of teaching and training materials um, to supplement their work on the ground um, for the two years that they were there. So I'm thinking as I'm listening to you talk, it seems like uh, you got to be pretty brave to do that. I mean, uh, I'm sure there's not uh, turmoil everywhere in Congo, but in the Republic of Congo. But, it, you know, is, it, is the political situation tough? Do you have to worry about your safety or, is, or can, you, can you go and, and uh, just do what you need to do and not worry about that? 
Well, um, it's probably both. Um, I would be reluctant ever to to claim um, that that I'm brave or strong to be doing it. Um, I I. Yeah, it's okay. There's a lot. Yeah, you know, there's <laughs> no, there's um, there's a lot to deal with. Um, the the magnanimity of the. Uh, the impact of the ongoing insecurity there and the way that that has affected the health system and the degree of poverty that you see and the um, kind of the, the scale of physical injury um, and and lack of access to care is um, so confrontational. I mean, it just, it, it is probably here, like there's motion in my voice. It's really hard to, to wrap my head around um, and trying to articulate it. Um, we practically take measures to be very safe. We stay in a secure location. We um, have you know, a, a driver, um, but it is it is an area where it is largely not safe for the Congolese, um, and and many of the, the healthcare providers that we are there to partner with and serve um, are putting themselves more at risk um, than anything we could ever do. Um, and I just truly feel. I feel humbled um, and I feel a huge responsibility um, to to try to tell their stories and honor their stories and um, to be whatever type of support we can be for them, um, because I feel like they certainly take on far more um, risk and and hardship than than anything that we ever do. Um, yeah. So it's just, uh, you know, listening to you talk and what you said about the enormity of the problem. Um, how do you feel? How do you feel like you're making a difference? Is it hard? Is it hard to wrap your head around? Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> it is. Um, because, uh, you know, we recognize, I think we're very fortunate that this kind of our first foray into this um these, these colleagues, Lauren Hollander, who is currently in California, and Laura Kaiser, who's currently based in the Baltimore area, um, that they were living there. And so there was a real sense of building something um, that was oriented towards sustainability. Um, in 2013, uh, we shifted our efforts over to another hospital, um, also in eastern Congo, um, called Pansy Hospital. And they have a community-based foundation that provides services um, to uh, a lot of women and, and girls and um, that are survivors of sexual violence. Um, so there can be psychosocial and emotional trauma and occasionally physical trauma that is associated with that healing, as well as women who have severe injuries as a result of childbirth. And they have one physical therapist for the entire hospital. Um, so, you know, to go in um, and to feel like our time is at all, um, you know, well spent and of service to them, um, really takes a a reorienting around getting to know the system itself, getting to know the people that are there day in and day out and finding out what their needs are. And so, you know, it's kind of like we show up with, you know, a toolbox, if you will, and, and try to figure out, you know, where do you need these tools? Um, so a lot of our efforts are going towards staff development. Um, we work with nurses and social workers and um, the physicians, the GYN surgeons, midwives, um, as well as the, the physiotherapist. 
um, and, and working on um, ways that they can kind of take bits of, of what we would do um, for that population and kind of spread that through the organization. Yeah, that's, um, that's impressive. So how, how often do you go? And then the next question after that is, do you physically go? And then the next question is, what do you do to help maintain the sustainability of a program like that when you can't be there all the time? Right. So we try to get there twice a year. Um, there are, you know, occasionally you know, many reasons why that could fall off, but twice a year is the target. Um, we usually are not able to go for much more than two weeks at a time. Um, so it's a very focused time that we're there. Um, really, really, you know, the emphasis is on time with staff um, and working on their programs and development. Um, in the time that we're here, we are regularly in contact with several of our colleagues um, to, to figure out how we can advance research projects that are their own design and making. Um, you know, we recognize that you know, we, just by virtue of where we live and where we got our education, um, we have so many more resources. So we are you know, leveraging our resources to help our colleagues um, you know, navigate the, the system and submit an abstract to an international meeting, for example. Um, so there are a few papers that are in progress um, that we are, are working to support them um, in bringing to, to publication um, because they are doing incredible work. And, and I feel like part of our work there is to help their stories be heard. Um, it's, um, it's, you know, not, again, it's not really my work, but my work is to try to help advance theirs and contribute to what they're doing. Um, one exciting thing that we've been able to, to do is um, work in concert with a large uh, NGO called Engender Health. Um, they are active in many, many countries across the world and have um, you know, a, a history of efforts in maternal health and specifically in care for fistula, really complicated uh, injury that occurs during childbirth, um, largely when people don't have access to care. Um, it's a, you know, real complicated scenario, but, um, substantial childbirth injury. And they have a program called Fistula Care Plus, where they have supported training and awareness and, um, surgical efforts. But, um, but fortunately, that program was headed by a urogynecologist, and she really believed in, in the importance of um, rehabilitation. So has brought us in periodically as consultants during the time of that project. So we've spent some time at a few other facilities teaching, um, but to, as they wrap up, they are um, they're supporting us writing a field manual for really like physiotherapy training for maternal health and GYN issues. Um, that is written geared toward the community health worker. So it is, again, kind of unpacking the toolbox of, of what we would do when we are physically there and thinking what is the basic information that we need to have in the hands of a community health worker um, to help move the needle on how this health condition is handled and really then what is the ultimate burden of disability in her life, um, you know, for the women that they're working with. And so it certainly is you know, going to be reviewed um, by people apart from us for clinical accuracy. And, you know, we're striving that this would be something that could be a resource for anyone in the healthcare system. Um, but to build capacity, uh, we need it to be able to be accessible for the community health worker. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really interesting. I, I'm aware of 
I know that Larry Benz's organization has a clinic in Haiti, I believe, and I know that Ifos uh, Wobadia uh, does some work in Guatemala. Is there kind of a network of physical therapists out there doing this international work, and do you communicate and, and share uh, 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 stories or share uh, resources in that sense, or are you kind of out there um, on your own? I feel less on my own than I did 10 years ago, um, and I think that there... Um, I think there's room for a much more robust and organized network to grow. So, you know, I think that we're, we're moving in the right direction. Um, I'm aware of their work. I know that, that ours is very, very specifically focused on maternal health and survivors of sexual violence, right. um, regardless of where that lands. I mean, there, there's a lot of need for that. And so we are connected with um, a few physical therapists that are working with the Worldwide Fistula Fund um, and then <clears throat> others um, that have started a global women's health initiative um, that is partnered with the section on women's health of APTA. So we aren't um, physically going to some of the same places, but we come together periodically for, for some meetings um, and kind of sharing our, our respective experiences and learning from each other. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that we have often heard over the years is, is people who think, gosh, that would be so great. How could I get involved? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that those paths are, are still being uh, laid down. <laughs> One of my ultimate career goals is to be able to answer that question succinctly. Um, and, and right now, um, particularly in the space of, of women's health, um, I think that it's, it's not too clear um, where people can plug in, especially um, if they aren't in a position um, to go abroad and, and actually live somewhere for many months at a time, a year or more at a time. Um, I believe that that is possible. Um, we actually are entirely focused on um, building some networks and trying to craft ways that are um, sustainable ways to support our colleagues in low resource settings um, through a network of people who would who feel equally compelled um, to help. Um, and I, I don't want to think that other people have to go through as much of putting it together from scratch as we have felt we've done at times. Well, if, if I'm a physical therapist and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I've been looking for. How, how would they reach out and do that? How, how would somebody uh, be involved in your organization or one of the organizations that, that do this? Um, uh, what would your advice to them be at this point? Well, that is the question I'm still trying to figure out a succinct answer to. <laughs> um, I would say to look at a few international groups. So Handicap International would be one. Um, WCPT uh, has a, is beginning to build some relationships with the World Health Organization. So I would just kind of keep a watch on what they're doing. Um, certainly the, the groups that you've mentioned um, before with IFOSA and Larry's group, um, I think they are good to look at um, to see what they're doing and how they're taking um, volunteers. I think within within women's health, um, I I apart from the names I've mentioned, I mean we don't have a way to truly plug in volunteers yet, um, and it's that's a hard that's question just, for me to face every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I us, huh? it is, it is, and I you know I feel like 
I'm aware that I'm doing an interview and I want to have all the right answers. And that is when I struggled. I have really struggled with that. Um, and um, well, it's not that I'm not trying to find an answer, but the honest thing is I, I don't, yeah. I don't know. It's still a work in progress. Well, it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. that, that you say that because one of the, uh, what I think is a real pillar of leadership is being able to and willing to admit when you don't know. So you don't know. So that's good. <laughs> We're working on it, right? So, there we go. <laughs> so going back to, uh, you know, kind of the leadership uh, part of all this. So what have you learned in your charity work that helps you in the business when you come back home? Oh, um, that's a great question. Um, I think it has really challenged me to think more broadly about um, what it means to practice to the fullest extent of our scope um, and to recognize that there can be various practice models um, that uh, that don't cover all those aspects and that that's okay and that what we're looking for is like the, the totality of what physical therapy represents, um, you know, is, is represented, you know, in different practice settings across the board. Um, so I think that that has, that's been one. it's, um, yeah, truly to think very broadly and to think how can, how can I orient myself around things that will maximize their input? I mean, maximize the impact to more people. Um, yeah, because, I mean, really, when, when we're in a situation where there's, you know, one physical therapist for an entire hospital's needs, um, and it's, it's a real challenge to start thinking, okay, well, how do we design a group-based program? And, and what can we bring in that, you know, is what we know about mental health and body movement to make it trauma-informed? because we can have a group and they've all experienced trauma and they have similar physical injuries. And how do we do all of that, you know, in a way that, you know, the physical therapist has to lead 10 people instead of doing one at a time. And, and so I think that's, that's been a challenge I probably have brought back. Um, that's more the clinical side, um, not kind of, um, balance sheet, uh, business, but, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, you're part of a of a women in PT network, um, and what do you get from that group, and why is it important to come together as women in physical therapy? Well, I think it's just important to come together as women. Period. <laughs> um, and and I am so grateful for the vision that uh, Erica Milo, Sandy Hilton, and Karen Litzy had in bringing um, that group together and, and being so deliberate about giving women a voice um, because you know, we are, we generally you know, can acknowledge that we're in a society that, that, that is still something that we're trying to, to find. It's not embedded um, in the path for everyone. Um, and, you know, I think that it's, it's so, um, they created a safe space for, um, for being able to acknowledge fears. You know, I mean, you talked about saying you don't always know the answers can be an example of leadership, but I think, um, being able to be honest and say, you know, I'm really not, I'm, I'm fearful of taking this next step and to share that with a group of people who, 
um, aren't judging you for having done that. You know, like it does not feel like a space where you have to have it all figured out. Um, and I, I value that. And I just think that, you know, we, we are in a, a, a time, I mean, probably we, anybody maybe say they've been in a time, but I just think that we really need to value all the voices that we have in society. And that includes within our profession. Um, yeah. You know, even though in PT, uh, you know, statistics vary depending on who you talk to, but I've heard around 70% of physical therapists are women, but do you see a bias when it comes to who speaks at conferences, uh, who's active on social media or gets that social media exposure and positions of leadership? Um, uh, is there a bias towards men in those, in those areas? It feels like it. Yeah, yeah it does. It does. Um, I can't, you know, cite statistics to back me up on that, but it, it definitely feels like it. Um, and it, it feels, yeah, that if you have a way of communication that doesn't match, um, that kind of classic, um, you know, even more masculine way of, of communicating that it doesn't have as much of a place. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, you've also, with uh, one of the many things that you've done, uh, started a foundation called Mama LLC, and you did that in 2016. So what is the mission of that organization, and uh, who do you hope to reach, and who do you hope to serve? <laughs> so in short, I think the, the mission of that is to be able to answer, eventually, the question you asked earlier, where I said I don't know where to direct people who want to be involved Um in the type of work we do internationally. Um, so Laura Kaiser and I um, met in Congo. We've continued to really work together since that time in 2009 to, to advance this. And, and to have this be something that um, starts to build more momentum and have just more substance to it, um, you know, all of our kind of collective international um, health work. And so we we're debating, well, do we need to form a nonprofit? Um, what you know, kind of, what do we do to organize it? And so um, we felt that collectively we kind of had a, a unique perspective on physical therapy and public health and how they intersect. And we're really starting to see ways that that happened um, both domestically and internationally. And so um, we, we really decided to just kind of pull our resources together um, and, and form a consulting group called Mama LLC. Um, it was named Mama, um, really inspired by the work that we have done um, primarily in Congo, where Mama is just a term of endearment for the women who care for women. So whether they are, you know, their biological mothers or not, and it just, it felt like the thing around which we were the most oriented um, as much as our work was moving in different directions. So um, it's through that group that we are now working with in gender health to produce this training manual and, um, and also through that group that we have some um, contacts with industry and are working with folks kind of on the women's health industry side here in the U.S., um, just bringing a different type of perspective, um, you know, that is you know, the unique way that I think of, you know, a physical therapist is trained to look at the health condition and its impact on a person and how we work within systems to um, create the greatest good from that. 
So that sounds great. Yeah. So, so you hold a position of Vice President of Medical Affairs and Clinical Advocacy at Renovia, Inc. How did that mm-hmm. opportunity come about, and, and how, do you, how do you fit that into everything else you're doing? My goodness, yeah, serendipity. Um, I think that that always plays a big role in things. Um, so I was approached um, probably a year and a half ago um, by the clinical founder of the company um, and their current CEO and uh, chief commercial officer to introduce me to this technology. They said that they had for um, treating primarily urinary incontinence in, in women. And um, I've you know been in this space and I've seen a lot of uh, devices come my way. And, and this was truly different um, in its form factor so it was a you know a different kind of a different way of of putting the sensors together, a different sensors altogether that detected motion um, instead of some of the other ways we look at you know biofeedback modalities in the public floor. Um, and they also were incredibly visionary. Um, that struck me. They were saying, you know, we think that this is a, a space that just has been deprived of innovation um, and really needs a lot of attention and you know we have the opportunity to leverage you know technology through both new form factors and different types of sensor technologies that have ever been used in the space before um, with a digital health platform so not just an app that would count sets and reps that one that you know is truly designed to be therapeutic um, and a therapy enhancer and you know kind of that that spoke to um, what goes back to day one, just my desire to build capacity in the space of female public health and public floor disorders. There are millions of people not receiving care. There are multiple years of delay from the onset of symptoms to somebody seeking care for their symptoms. Um, and so it it is a space where there is uh, a huge opportunity for improvement and that improvement means impacting a lot of lives. And um, so I was engaged with them um, for well over a year as a consultant um, to the company, um, helping them as they were evaluating, well, what products do we develop and how are we thinking about this? Um, and you know, as they approached me with this opportunity to step in as um, VP of Medical Affairs, I would be the first to tell you I wasn't really sure what that was at all. <laughs> but um, but I had a real clear sense that this is a company focused on first and foremost the first step in the path for women with pelvic floor disorders, and that is a space that physical therapy needs to occupy boldly. And I have always felt that way, and um, and I felt a huge responsibility to our profession um, to take the position, <laughs> because if if I had not, I mean, and I had the option, I mean, I could have I could have not taken this on. Um, chances are pretty good it wouldn't have been filled by a PT. Um, and um, and I I felt like this was a really really um, unique opportunity um, and one that I, I shouldn't pass up um, to to be a voice for the field and a voice for that patient experience after years and years of clinical care and working one-on-one with women who 
you know, was like, why didn't anybody tell me? And I never knew this was a possibility. And it's got worse over years before I got help. You know, all those stories are so real to me and to be able to bring that in to the team as well. Um, well, has been a huge challenge. <laughs> well, that's good, good for you because you know one of the things yeah. that I see that um, I'm always perplexed, and this isn't uh, this is men and women in, in physical therapy, is that there are so many PT. There, there's uh, I should back up. There are so few PTs in these leadership roles within healthcare companies or systems outside of patient care. And mm-hmm. you said it exactly. If we aren't involved in those kind of positions, then we don't have a voice. We don't have our input. And therefore, those physical therapy uh, decisions or use of physical therapy in those situations are made by non-physical therapists, which makes no sense. So I commend mm-hmm. you for stepping out. And, and I'm sure you felt like I had a lot of time to do this. So uh, now you're in a position where uh, you, know, you can influence how that uh, company uh, is 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 handling the situation from a physical therapy perspective, which I think is really important. So I, I commend you for doing that. Well, thank you so much for saying that. It was um, it was not an easy decision to come to. I mean, it's one that I feel is the right decision, a hundred percent. But um, but it was tough. Yeah, I mean, it was really tough because it it has required stepping away from some other things and to really put enough of my focus on this to do this well. Um, but, um, but I want to see it succeed. I mean, I just feel like I've spent years out there like kind of churning through and, and yes, we're excellent when we see people in clinical care, but there's so many people we're not seeing, um, that we really need to figure out how we, leverage kind of everything available to us through the technology side to, to enhance access to care. Um, and I have the really unique um, and wonderful privilege of being able to get to do this with uh, our chief medical officer is a urogynecologist who I met in her fellowship. Um, so we have been colleagues and friends for about 15 years and um, entered into these two positions um, pretty much at the same time. Um, and she is a huge champion for physical therapy, um, as, uh, kind of her entire field is. Um, and so it's, it, it, <laughs> we've got purpose with a capital P wrapped up on coming to work every day. That must, uh, you know, I'm thinking, listening to you talk, that must drive you and your colleagues in women's health crazy when you see so many ads on TV that, you know, really all you need is, um, absorbent undergarment and all your problems are solved. That must right. drive you crazy. Right, right. When they say, yeah, it's not a big deal. It's yeah. really not a big deal. And it's, you know, no, that's actually for her to decide. Yeah. She can decide if it's a big deal. And you can only do that if you know what all your options are. You know, you need to make an informed decision. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so help us, help us um, figure out, not in great detail, but just give me an idea of your day-to-day. I mean, do you still treat patients some? Do you still run your... Your business with nine clinics, some your this VP, some what's what's your week look like? So I um, I'm currently not treating patients, um, and I haven't for several months. Um, I would like to carve that back out, but um, have set that aside now in order to get my feet under me in the new position at Renovia. Yeah. Um, my my husband um, Alex McKinney, so he is you know, working with the rest of the leadership team at Marathon. So I've, I've really stepped away from that. I 
you know, remain an owner and, um, you know, have a heart for that company, of course. Um, but, but we, um, we've really made a division there so that, you know, he and, and the rest of the team there are, are you know, steering that ship. Um, and, and, and that's great. So, um, the, I think the international work that I talked about, um, that is, uh, that still gets fit in um, sometimes late nights after work. Um, and we are heading back to Congo next week. So we have a return visit coming up. That was um, being able to continue that work was an important part of making the decision to come on to, to Renovia was knowing that they would be in support of that um, because, you know, there were, there's an amazing group of people at Marathon and, you know, amazing group of colleagues even outside of marathon in the greater Boston area that are going to continue to do great clinical care. Um, and we feel like if we drop the ball on, you know, our, our international projects, um, we don't have that same guarantee um, that that would continue. So that, that, um, gets to be a part of it, but by and large day in and day out, um, uh, the, the work with Renovia, um, has, has most of my attention. I've been learning a lot about investor relations. So we, oh, um, yeah. are just completing a large fundraise. And so, um, I'm learning some new language, you know, like we have our, all of our catchphrases and in, in PT or in healthcare, right. and I'm learning what those are on the business side. Um, I'm told I'm in constant vertical development. That's what I'm picking <laughs> up. On. Nice, nice. Um, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, starting to understand even the process of how money gets raised to move things forward in healthcare um, is, is a really fascinating learning experience um, and how in order to move big change, like really move the needle on what is the standard of care and to promote access that the the business side of it has to be figured out too because that drives it. Yeah. Um, well, I think so, it's, uh, it's yeah. just a, it's an amazing part of what you're doing, and I, uh, you know, you, you glossed over it quickly, but since this is a podcast about leadership, uh, I just want to go back to the fact that <laughs> the people at Marathon allowing you to spread your wings and do this and supporting you in doing that. But let's not forget that's a company that you built and you created and, and you uh, develop leadership in. So uh, that's a real tribute to, to you too. So congratulations on that. So Thanks. when you look back uh, or when your family looks back at your career uh, and uh, what, do you, what do you hope that they say and tell their peers what, what you did or what you do? Oh, man. <laughs> that's good. Um, hmm. um, I know I didn't prepare you for that. I just hit you. No, you didn't. So I'm sorry for wasting valuable podcast no, seconds by fine. delaying and thinking. Um, I, I think that it really would get back to capacity and helping to give a voice, um, to people or conditions that don't have a voice, um, and, um, that I, you know, maximize whatever opportunities were, were in my path. Um, and, you know, use those to, to try to help others move forward as well. Um, yeah, yeah well, that's, it feels like a bit of a bumpy answer. I'm, I'm having a hard time, but I, 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I became a PT because I wanted to make a difference in what I did in my life. So I guess as cheesy as it sounds, that's what I would want people to say is that there was an impact. And you're certainly doing that. So that's uh, that's impressive. I mean, uh, to me, uh, you're just uh, so busy doing what you do that you haven't had time to think of that question, probably. (laughs) Yeah. And I hope that people will forgive me for the, you know, the mistakes I make along the way. Right. And because it's easy to get on and have a conversation and and say, gosh, these are all the highlights, and I really love that I did this. And there's a there are a lot of ways that I've you know fallen down and skinned my knees, and you know things I wish I could do differently. And um, but those are all part of the the process. So I hope that that'd be another thing. Well, if we can all agree yeah. that we learn more from our failures than we do our successes, <laughs> then obviously. <laughs> Those that have uh, done a lot have made a lot of mistakes, so that's uh, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's a given, so that's for sure. Yes. So as we wind down here, um, usually what I do is I ask my guests, uh, relating to leadership, what would be your pearl of wisdom to our listeners today? Hmm. I think it would be to strive for authenticity. Yeah. Um, so what, is, know, what, to, is, what does authenticity yeah. mean to you? So when you say authenticity. So, yeah, yeah. So for me, I think it's, you know, I can read books on leadership and, and value that. But to try to figure out, like, what is it that compels me and drives me? You hear about people talking about being in your, you know, your genius zone or standing in your dharma. I mean, there's so many different ways to say it. But, um, you know, finding what is it that truly just gets you so excited, um, and, and staying true to that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Jessica, it's been, uh, it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. I'm so impressed with all you're involved in and all you've done. And that's very kind. Well, when you talk about making an impact, I mean, you just look back on someone's career and when they, you know, we all started in PT school and came out with these, uh, um, you know, bold ideas and, and big visions of what we wanted to do. And it's, it's, and it's rare when people really uh, uh, strive and, and hit, the, hit the height of that and, and are willing and brave or whatever you want to call it to uh, go uh, to Africa or wherever it may be and, and jump into areas where you have no guiding light and, and no, uh, no uh, toolkit, as you said. You had to create your own. And, and to me, that's just mm-hmm. real impressive. So I've really enjoyed talking with you today. Uh, I wish you the best uh, in all your endeavors. And uh, thanks a lot for being a guest on Profiles in Leadership. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you for listening to this episode of Profiles in Leadership. And thank you to, v- to VGM Advantage for supporting this program. Be sure to check out our entire library of video interviews and podcasts at vgmadvantage.com and orange.coaching.com and, of course, on iTunes Podcasts under Profiles in Leadership. Music